Welcome to Up Next. I'm Gabrielle Boucher, millennial author and entrepreneur. Each week, I bring to you next generation leaders and millennial game changers to inspire you to change your world. Let's see what's next. Hey, today I am talking to Raj Nair, who is the co-director of the Israel Collective. And Raj takes teams of millennials over to the Holy Land to experience their faith in a new way, to have physical experiences with the ground that Jesus walked on and to actually see what it's like to be in Israel today. He sees lives transformed. He sees faith heightened, and he sees a generation having their eyes open to what's actually going on with the Middle East. So Raj, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I'm sure you get this question all the time, but what made you so interested in Israel? Sure. That's actually a, a pretty loaded question. And I, I got to be honest, I think I came into it very similar to, I think, a lot of millennial Christians that kind of have uh, an outside perspective. Like I didn't grow up, for example, thinking about it 24-7. It was one of those things that kind of God put in my life later in life. But I think I came into it like like a lot of people where you're like, oh, man, such a controversial subject. Like I'm just going to keep that on the side. I... I don't really think I should get involved because I don't want people to not like me for doing things and saying things. And then I went there and uh, first I fell in love with Israel, um, hardcore. Uh, But then I I started peeling back the onion and I'm like, wait, there's there's a lot of lies being said. No, that's not true. I, I know for a fact that's not true. Like, what are you what are you talking about? I'm not saying that Israel is a perfect country by no means. It's, a, it's, a, it's like America. It's not a perfect place. But that's not true, and that's not true. And that So what are some of the lies that, that are swirling out there that people might have or some ideas about Israel that are just completely wrong? Um, I, I was <laughs> well, That's a question of, of where do you start. Um, I, I think uh, one of the most obvious ones is, is people calling Israel an apartheid state. Uh, which is ridiculous because the third largest political party in Israel is an all-Arab party. Um, there's no signs that say Jews here, Muslims here, Christians here. Um, and, and so trying to – but, but it, it, all it is is a soundbite, and it's really easy to say. It's really easy to just click on it and say, yeah, Israel is an apartheid state. Here's this wall. See, no one mentions the fact that 95% of this wall, which is really just a security barrier, is a chain-link fence. But, but people show this wall and they say apartheid, and that's all you need. Frankly, it, I, I get it, though. Like, I, like Gabby, I actually really get it because we as millennial Christians are so programmed to want to stand with the oppressed and the downtrodden. And don't get me wrong, Palestinians are suffering. The question is why? Why, why are they not granted full citizenship and rights in Lebanon and Syria and Jordan? Once you start peeling back the onion, it gets a little bit more complicated. And, and I'll, I'll kind of close with this. Uh, something Dennis Prager once said. He said, um, "It's you know, it's it's what's what what does good and what feels good. And honestly, what does good takes a lot longer to explain than what feels good. And what feels good is here's this wall, apartheid, down with Israel. But what does good requires you to actually get into the meat of it. And when and when I did, I couldn't just sit back and let it happen anymore. That's incredible. And." That's something that you can't communicate in a soundbite. It's not a talking point. 
And it's not something that can really be communicated. But you and the team at Israel Collective are really looking to create those experiences that you're having on the ground with those who might not step foot in Israel. Can you share a little bit about some of the video projects that you guys are working on right now? Yeah, sure. Um, actually, we just released one uh, a couple of days or yesterday, um, basically about this hospital uh, in the north of Israel that's treating Syrians um, that have been wounded in the in the war, the bloody war in Syria. And this doctor basically goes into this fact that, you know, I don't care if they're Al-Qaeda or Al-Nusra or whatever they are, they're human beings, and so I treat them. Um, and, and basically, we're basically showing the humanity of the Israeli people, the Jewish people, um, because everything that I've seen, and I've been all over the West Bank and I've been all over Israel, I mean, these are really great people that are living the biblical values that we cherish. Um, and so when, when you read all these, these demonizing things being said about the Jews, I'm like, wait, hold on, time out. Look at, look at Save a Child's Heart, which is a video we did um, basically showing this, this um, pediatric heart center in, close to Tel Aviv that gives life-saving heart surgeries to people from the developing world, be it the West Bank, be it Gaza, be it Syria, be it you know, somewhere in Africa. And those are stories that, to me, it's like, well, of course, I mean, this is what's happening, but no one wants to look at those. No, one, no one's telling these stories. All they're seeing, again, is this wall, which not to mix questions that you've asked, but I have not met one single Israeli, Gabby, not one who says, awesome, the security barrier, love it. No, they, no one likes it, but explaining why it's there is so important. Um, it prevents terrorism. And, and so basically just breaking hatred by showing people stories through these films is at, at the end of the day, what we ho- hope to, to accomplish is reconciliation. And the only way you reconcile is you have to break hate. And how you break hate is by showing the natural, altruistic, loving side of the Israeli people. Empathy is such an incredible weapon against hate and misunderstanding and really turning the tides. And I think it's so incredible that you guys are taking the means of video production to tell a beautiful story, but a complicated story. Mm -hmm. And For a generation who is used to instant likes and instant shares on Facebook and meme campaigns, it's difficult for us to think about how something could be so complicated like Israeli-Palestinian relations that have centuries-old warfare behind them. I mean, how do you communicate layers upon layers of, of complicated facts to a generation that is so used to instant gratification? Mm. Well, <laughs> that's that's the key, isn't it, Gabby? Um, you know, it's 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 one of those things where we don't really do a whole lot in the sense that we're not going there. My my colleague Josh and I and explaining everything. We're just kind of, hey, look for yourself. Ask questions. Ask the imam over there. Ask the priest over there. Ask the rabbi over there. Um, ask this secular guy. Ask this you know person in this in this gay pride parade. Ask. I mean. Ask the full spectrum of the Israeli society, um, kind of the whole thing. And, and honestly, it is, it is complicated in the sense that, like, okay, what are these settlements about? Gaza, explain to me Hamas, explain to me, um, you know, all, there's, there, there, it, it is a very intense subject for a country the size of New Jersey. But I, I do think that when you are honest with yourself and you peel back where this hatred is coming from, where the origins of... Um, animosity towards Jews, which is a, a question that, um, <laughs> please help me answer that. 
um, it, it's, it's just something where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain everything, but I do know that I see the anti-Semitism of the 1930s rearing its evil head right now all over the world, especially in Europe. And I kind of want to think that I, I, I would have been one of those people that said, if you want to take the Jews, you're going to have to come through me first. And I don't, I don't know if I'm not courageous enough. I don't know if I'm Dietrich Bonhoeffer courageous. I hope one day that I can prove that, that God has like really instilled in me some sort of courage. But I don't know, maybe. But I, I do know that while I can use the medium of film and, and, and the gospel, really, frankly, to just end some of this hate and lies and misconception, but to explain the whole situation, I mean, that's, that's a lifelong journey. I'm still learning. One of the most powerful things that you just said was you let millennials who go on these trips experience things for themselves. You let them ask questions. You let them have experiences with imams and with rabbis and be able to question just this stereotype that they have been given. How has that influenced, if at all, your idea of evangelism here in the States? Evangelism here in the States. Um, what do you what do you mean specifically by that? Well, just as I was thinking about, it, I mean, you're bringing in a generation to touch and feel a completely new and different experience to change a worldview. Mm. And yeah. you're oh, not okay. you're, you're not preaching at them. You're not even giving them a textbook. Uh, I, I went on the trip with you. I think it was just about a year ago. And you could have given us things to read. I don't know, because I, I didn't read them. But the the most powerful moments for me was. Uh, was walking along the wall and, and talking to the uh, our our guide there, Danny, and and learning the facts behind the wall that he made it a point that not one house and not one family would be divided. I mean the the thought and care that went into the safety and security of a nation and its people was really impactful for me. So those were those moments that really hit me, and right. I came back thinking, how can we take this experience-based model to change the worldview of our generation right here. Totally. I, I think uh, understanding that if, if something's true, that you should be able to let it breathe for itself. But also bringing that truth to people's front door is sometimes kind of uncomfortable. One of my favorite human beings on earth right now is Robbie Zacharias. I think you, you know who that is. He's, a, he's an apologist. Uh, he, just, he just basically people will bring him all these accusations against God and accusations against Christianity and accusations of the validity of the Bible. And he meets people where they are. Um, and so if he's talking to a Muslim audience, he meets people where they are. If he's talking to, you know, a rabidly uh, anti-God audience in Berkeley or my hometown of Brooklyn, he meets them where they are. Um, he makes things palatable and understandable and relatable. And he also, he also is able to empathize and and so just I think the idea when it comes kind of rounding your question out about evangelism is understanding and listening, but also not compromising the truth. And when people realize that you're not trying to like win them over for like a point, but you're like, hey, I love you. And the reason that I'm telling you this message is because I love you so much that I want you to, to, to know this. And so um, I think it's really taught me um, – a lot about my own evangelism, which is, which is just being able to, to, to make the message of the gospel palatable, relatable, defendable, explainable, and not just Jesus loves you, accept it. Not that people do that, but 
really getting into the meat of the subject and the intricacies and understanding people's hurts and listening. And, and so it's helped me immeasurably in that way. It's a really messy thing. And being okay with a mess and being okay with a process is really where the power comes in. And that's really when transformation happens. But you said something really key there that I want to hit on again is, is you said the truth is powerful enough. We need to take refuge in the fact that when we're providing truth, whether it's an experience or whether it's Christianity or whether it's it's a justice issue that needs to be addressed, being confident that just presenting the truth and letting that truth convict is powerful enough. Sometimes the least amount of words can be more powerful than any than any uh, long form conversation that you could ever ever possibly have. So I briefly shared with you one of my most kind of impactful moments when I was in Israel. And I remember going beforehand, a number of friends who are our scholars and who are trying to prepare me and prep to, to go on this experience. And, and everyone's like, your, your life is going to completely change. You're going to come back and you're going to see things brighter. And, you know, you're going to fall in love with the Bible again, and you're going to just understand things so much more. And, and it's true. It has a different experience, but for me, it deepened my faith in a different way. And that I realized that God is everywhere and I can experience him in Israel, but I can also experience him in Washington, D.C., where I live. And that was one of the most powerful moments for me was there was this seamlessness to my faith. And yes, those experiences of, you know, being on the Sea of Galilee and being, you know, visiting the Garden Tomb were powerful. There was something so much stronger than that. So that and the incredible food that we ate the entire time. I mean, I keep trying to find good hummus here, and it's absolutely impossible. But Roger, that's why I tell people the the worst part about going to the Middle East is when you come back, all the hummus states are just like, eh. Oh, I want none of it now. I mean, I still mm. eat it. Don't worry. But I mean, there's just nothing <laughs> the same. I'm like, what? What happened? Uh, but what were some of those moments for you that 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 really sunk in? That you're like, this is a very special place. Wow. You you know what? I'm excited for when this podcast becomes a TV show because I'm going to watch it because you ask really good questions, Miss Gabby. Um, <laughs> the, the sites that really hit home for me, goodness gracious, um, specific with regards to my faith or with regards to the whole political situation or both, I guess you could say. Either. I mean, what did you walk away? You're like, that changed me. Yeah. Um, shoot. Um... I, I know I want to like give you an answer right away, but I think I have to really meditate on that for a while. I, I would say um, in a cerebral way, just being in Jerusalem, um, I don't know what it is. And, you know, people have different reactions and different feelings, but there's something. Um, okay, here's the best way I, I, I can explain to someone who's maybe never been to Jerusalem. Let's say you're from Kansas City or even a small town in Kansas or I'm you know, from a small town in Ohio and you go to New York City and then you come back and people are like, what's New York like? And you say, well, there's just this energy and people are like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, there's traffic and there's people. But no matter how much you try to explain the energy of New York City to someone who's never been there, it doesn't quite articulate the energy of New York City. In a, in a similar way, when you go to Jerusalem, there's not only physical, tangible, kinetic energy, but there's spiritual energy. There's just this, I mean, it's almost like God's obsessed with Jerusalem in the Bible. And I feel like there's just this spiritual 
uh, energy and tension. And I don't know. I, there's just something uh, where I, I feel like if you go to Jerusalem and you really let your guard down, it will make the most ardent atheist question his atheism because there's just something there. And so I would say Jerusalem, just in general, um, is a place that there's just no other place like it. And whenever I go there, I, you know, I'll, I've been there seven times now. Um, I, I still get that feeling of, wow, like, there's some, I, I, I even feel weird saying it because it's just a city, right? But like, there's something tangibly intense about that city, about God's presence there. And so, yeah, I would say that. So good. So good. So our podcast is called Up Next, and so we always like to ask the guests, what's what's next? I mean, what do you see as the future uh, as even just the millennial generation in our understanding, in our relationship to Israel? Is there an opportunity there for us to become advocates and to transfer our need and love for justice outside of our borders and towards a, a broken nation that is really in the midst of some some very trying times. I mean, how do we how do we look to the future of of what we can do, and how are we empowered to make a difference? I think we're really empowered to make a difference. I think it's important to be equipped with the with the reality and the truth. Uh, I think it's important to be able to um, empathize with Palestinians and Israelis. I think it's important to, but at the end of the day, there's this wall of of hatred. Um, that's brewing not only in, in, in the West Bank and Gaza, but kind of all, in a lot of places in the Middle East. And if we can bring, I mean, he's called the Prince of Peace, right? Um, if I, I don't know what that, honestly, being totally blunt, I don't know what that looks like, but I know that my God is the God of Shalom, which is wholeness, which is, the, which is even more of an, an intense word than, than peace. Peace is like a truce, which is like, all right, you're, you're cool, I'm cool. But shalom is, is something that's so much more intense than just peace. And our God is the God of that shalom. And I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. I don't understand the, the total prophetic nature of it. But I feel like we as the church, if we approach all things with love and truth and respect um, in that region and realize that you know God has an eye for Israel, there's something prophetic about Israel. Let's not just say, you know, God rejected the Jews and we should just wipe them off the face of the earth and everything will be okay. No, no, no. Let, let, let's be a little bit more um, mature than that uh, and really understand uh, that if we can break down this wall of hatred with his shalom, then, you know, maybe I'm a naive, maybe I'm a dreamer, maybe I'm sounding a little John Lennon right now, but I think we can. I think, I think his shalom, his peace, his um, transcendent love is, I guess, a key, the key to something really amazing happening here. And I think that honestly begins with truth and unlock, and just, 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 just cracking that wall of hate. If we can just crack the wall of hate, splinter the hate a little bit, and let a little bit of that light shine, I think, I think we're on to something. So we have reached the end of our podcast. That's incredibly well said, Raj. But I ask all of my guests, and so you get it as well, my question, which is, Raj, if the 12-year-old version of you were to meet you right now and see what you do every day and go with you to Israel, what would he think about what you do? <laughs> the 12-year-old version. Um, I, you know, I, I would say 12 
and 21-year-old Raj would say the same thing. Um, and that was, I, as you know, Gabby, uh, I, I've worked in television production my whole life up until this. And I was, like anyone in television production, very narcissistic, very self-centered, very into self-glorification. And God broke me down. He's like, dude, trust me, bro. Like, I got something so much better for you than glorifying yourself. And I fought against it and I fought against it. And then I realized that humans, we are meant to live to glorify him. And it is in that communion, that relationship that we find fulfillment and joy and peace. And so I would say to my younger self, um, hey, man, like, soli deo gloria. Like, trust me, like, your kingdom will fall. You are not here for very long, but there is an everlasting kingdom. Um, feed into that. Build into that. And I think my, my 12-year-old self would, would kind of kick and scream and say, yeah, but you want to be popular and, and you want you know, the, the girls to like you and all this stuff. And, and that was a large motivation for getting into television. But I tell you what, um, doing things his way isn't some sort of like crux or, or, or like oh, do it his way. It's, it's, it's actually freedom. And that's one of my favorite verses is it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And understanding that when the idea of new birth that new birth is into freedom. Like it's, it's not just, hey, now you're a Christian. No, it's, you've been birthed into his glorious freedom. And I think that my 12-year-old self would, would be confused, but then like he would see that, wow, like whatever you are now is so much more alive than what I thought you would be if you were living for yourself. And that is living in his freedom. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It sounds like your 12-year-old self was significantly more cognizant of what was going on in, in, in depths of the kingdom of God than, than my 12-year-old self was. But <laughs> No, I, just, I was just self-centered like everyone else, but uh, also wanting to fill a lot of those um, uh, voids with narcissism and self-centeredness. Um, so, but, and, and especially being in the industry, Gabby, you know this, being in media, it's so tempting. It's so, oh, I want more followers, but like, that's worthless. It's so worthless. Um, but living in his freedom is like, man, it's the bee's knees. I think that's a great point. It's uh, brokenness that leads us to maturity and having a higher sense of who we are and, and what we're doing and, and finding our purpose. And, and that's one of the questions that everyone's looking to ask and no one feels like they have the answer until they finally completely give up and, and can realize that they're not the one who are supposed to find the answer. God's the one who's supposed to provide it all along. So that's it for us here. Raj Nair, thank you so much for joining us today. And I just want to recognize you for your leadership, for your willingness to go on the chopping block and, and let God take out every part of you and put in a new heart, a new vision. And as you lead new groups of millennials over to Israel, you are helping to raise up a generation who is more empathetic, who are apologists, not only for the gospel, not only for Israel, but apologists for freedom. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I want to be on your TV show when you have one coming up soon, because you're amazing. You're invited. <laughs>